You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and you have just tuned into another exciting episode of the Revelation Revolution. Listen, don't touch that dial. Stay with us. We're going to have another uh, great, great lesson, and I tell you, God is moving in the lives of people. And I want you to be encouraged, glory to God, because the whole purpose of Revelation Revolution is to open people's eyes to the message that the book truly gives. And though there are trials and tribulations in the book, we win in the end, in the name of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just joined the Revelation Revolution. Praise God, everyone. We just thank God again for you for tuning in to another exciting episode of the Revelation Revolution. I am just so glad because we we are, we are really doing something fantastic here, uh, you know, with the Revelation Revolution. I am just thrilled by the support that we're getting the listeners that are tuning in and it is it is it's amazing ladies and gentlemen i tell you we are very very uh excited about it uh our last episode was a very very powerful uh episode i've been getting some great feedback uh from uh those of you that uh 
uh, do listen in and we just thank God for uh, all of you. Uh, glory to God. And uh, so listen, at this point we have, we are at 1,347 plays. 1,347 plays. And that is really, really, really amazing. Out of all of the uh, episodes that we have um, uh, put out, uh, this is episode uh, number 20. And uh, so we're, we're, we're very, very excited about what God is doing through this ministry. And so uh, we are always going to endeavor uh, to give you the truth and uh, break it down to where uh, people can understand uh, the purpose and the scope and the depth of the book of the revelations for too long uh, mainstream seminaries and um, denominations have controlled how we interpret the book of revelation and they like I say they teach it in schools and one of the most uh, prevalent teachings is what I what is called the preacher dispensationalism uh, which is an, another uh, which pre-trib would fall under the dispensational uh, school of thought and uh, so we uh, God many years ago uh, gave me spoke to my heart and set a, a sequence of events off that led to my first book which is unlocking the door a key to biblical prophecy now this book is probably still available uh, it was published by Huntington House Publishers in uh, 1994 I was on staff at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission so uh, it was my first published book um, and uh, we 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 got a lot of coverage. I was on uh, WNBI National, that's Moody Bible Institute radio. I was on USA Today. Uh, they flew me around the country. I had did many talk shows when that book for, uh, first came out. Many newspaper articles and things like that. Uh, and uh, it, it made it really did make an impact. Uh, glory to God and so you may be able to still find that book uh, if you put it in uh, on Amazon there's probably still some people that have it now I, I had to to buy some of my own copies of my book so I could get it and and prepare it to be re-released uh, the old one uh, under a new you know put a new cover on it and all of that but then instead of doing that I decided to go ahead and just release a new series of books uh, uh, basically encompassing the material of my first book and some new things that God has given me since and so uh, so that's what we're, we're working on now uh, the Revelation Revolution series it'll be actually a series of commentaries um, on uh, not a verse by first uh, verse by verse study of revelation but the whole topic of eschatology the, uh, the rapture and all of that stuff uh, the restrainer all of those various aspects of uh, of eschatology will be uh, we will be doing an in-depth study and um, those of you that know uh, I challenge some of the top theological minds 
in the country uh, dealing uh, back in the 90s anyway uh, dealing with this subject Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost and Dr. John Walvoord now to those of you that are listening to me those names may not ring a bell you may not know who these people are I know them from Adam and I understand that but if you just google the names and um, do a study on how pre-trib came to the United States and all of those eventually you're going to run as the Pentecost and wall board uh, because they were the disciples of Lewis Perry Schaefer who started Dallas Theological Seminary uh, Lewis Perry Schaefer was a uh, was mentored by another gentleman by the name of C.I. Schofield C.I. Schofield is the one who wrote the Schofield Reference Bible the Schofield Reference Bible uh, before Schofield uh, put that Bible out he was influenced by John Nelson Darby Don Nelson, John Nelson Darby came over to the United States from England and uh, basically spread dispensationalism through throughout the United States with help like key people like uh, Dwight L. Moody uh, Dwight L. Moody uh, in Chicago is a, uh, a monumental figure uh, uh, because he's got the uh, Moody Memorial Church down on Chicago Avenue right down by the not uh, not too far off of the lake down uh, on the outskirts of downtown uh, near north it's called the near north side and uh, not far down the street from Moody Bible Institute which is a evangelical seminary uh, that many people like great people like Kenneth Wiest the great uh, Greek scholar uh, Warren Worsby uh, John Phillips many other people that have commentaries and commentary series out that are very well known uh, have uh, taught at uh, Moody Bible Institute and so uh, so we just um, uh, you know here in Chicago he's well known but Dwight L. Moody was one of the key people who helped John Nelson Darby get foothold here in America and uh, and as a result uh, pre-tribulationism spread throughout the United States uh, and, and again uh, Moody uh, Lewis Perry Schaefer working for Dwight Moody he was a musician uh, in the music ministry eventually he uh, hooked up with C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield had him teaching for him in this uh, school out in New York. Uh, uh, Schaefer uh, uh, became prominent in his own right and then started a, a, a seminary that eventually became known as Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, Lewis Perry Schaefer has wrote a, a volume of theological uh, 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 reference works and uh, taught uh, dispensationalism there at Dallas Theological Seminary and his first students not first students but his closest disciples who uh, one who ended up becoming the chancellor of the college after Lewis Perry Schaefer died was John Walvoord and uh, Walvoord has been written many books very well known anybody that knows anything about scholars and dispensationalism they would know who Walvoord's name is because his name appears in very many commentaries because what he had to say uh, not that he wrote very many commentaries but people always quote him him and uh, Dwight Pentecost another prominent figure that uh, at the time 
that came up was uh, 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 Mr. Ryrie, uh, Charles Ryrie. And uh, those of you may, there might be some of you that actually have a Ryrie study Bible. Well, these were the disciples of Lewis Berry Schaefer. Okay, Lewis Berry Schaefer, again, a disciple of C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield, a, uh, a contemporary John Nelson Darby. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is how this, this thing came to the United States and spread around the world, particularly through the uh, uh, Schofield Reference Bible and great schools like Dallas Theological Seminary. Great ministers have come out of there. It's a good school. Not saying it's a, not, nothing about it, you know, uh, bad in that sense. Um, uh, great uh, teachers, uh, Tony Evans, and just many, many people. I mean, Hal Lindsey. They all went to Dallas Theological Seminary. That was that. DTS was the at, at the top of the heap, you know, when it came to dispensational teaching and their. Uh, um, uh, they uh, they are known for many great things, and so uh, that's that's basically the, the the cliff note version of kind of how this thing started. There's some other factors and key pieces that to it that that also could contribute, and I'm sure historians would like to add more a little bit to it. But that's that's the cliff note version of how it uh, came to start. So last time when we were on uh, with you, uh, we. We highlighted a few scriptures, and I'm going to go back to them. Uh, just give me a minute here. Uh, one of the things that we, uh, one of the passages that we uh, brought up was First uh, John uh, t- uh, 2.18. And uh, it's a key passage of scripture because we notice something that John says about the Antichrist, but it's not so much of what he says, it's, it's what he doesn't say. That's the most interesting thing. And um, we just want to uh, go back to that um, and uh, take a look at exactly what it is that um, uh, John said but didn't say. And so if you'll turn with me to First uh, John, uh, chapter number eighteen, and uh, we're going to read from a few versions. Uh, starting out with the King James version, it says, "Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now." There are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is that it is the last time. Uh, the last time can be equated with the season that the church is in now. Uh, if you remember on the day of Pentecost when Peter quoting Joel, he said, In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So, in a sense, the church... The church and Christians have been in the last days ever since Pentecost. But then you also have the end times. And the end times kind of more looks at the last part or the final times of the last days. And so there's a there's a different ways to approach it. And so John here is basically saying, little children, it is the last time. Okay, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. 
Now, this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. Glory to God. Notice what he says here. And this is what we picked up last week. And we're actually going somewhere different this week. But we're kind of like recapping. Notice what he says here. Little children, it is the last time. And ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists. Whereby we know that this is the last time. And now it's interesting. It's interesting that... If John was teaching a pre-trib rapture, or he had that in mind, would he have not have said, Little children, you know it is the last time, as ye have heard, and a Christ shall come, but the church won't be here. Little children, you need not worry about it because you won't be here. The church won't be here. But he doesn't say that. It's like Christians were to anticipate his coming. You see, you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that eschatology and end time prophecy was a hot topic in the beginning. So we're talking about a new church. John is still alive. Now granted he lived longer than the other apostles. We might be we might be approaching 90 AD when when he wrote this uh epistle. Cuz we know when he wrote Revelation between 90 96 AD right somewhere somewhere in that range. There are others that argue an earlier date, but but I'm just saying right in that range. It's when he wrote the book of Revelation. So I'm, I think it's safe to assume that maybe these epistles came prior to that. And so, end time prophecy, eschatology was a topic, ladies and gentlemen, that people talked about. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about it. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place where it ought not, that is a direct reference to the Antichrist desecrating the temple that's going to be rebuilt. Jesus talked about the Antichrist indirectly when he referenced Daniel's 70th week and the abomination of desolation. So it is interesting that this was a hot topic and it was an important topic because just as Jesus predicted there would be these stones would be thrown down just as Daniel 27 a 927 predicted the destruction of Jerusalem uh and these things were literally fulfilled and many believers died. They were persecuted under the hands of the Jews, under the hands of the Romans. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Jewish church was scattered all over. The Jews were scattered all over the world and the church was also scattered because persecution, like I say, came from both the Jews and the Romans. And so, 
The bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, the milieu that they lived in was a hostile environment for Christians. And so this is probably why the topic of the Lord's second coming was obviously a big topic for the people of that day because even as Paul said, he had to write the Thessalonians. He had to tell them, say, listen, I know you guys heard that we're in the day of the Lord already. And the persecution that you're going on, going through is because we're already entered in the day of the Lord. He says, that's, that, that's not true. The day of the Lord cannot come unless a couple of things happen first. There has to be a falling away and the man of sin must be, re be, be revealed, the son of perdition. And we're going to get deeper into what is exactly what, what they're talking about. He must be revealed. Priest Trib said he's revealed when he signs the covenant. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. That's not true because the word revealed there is not parousia. It's not it's not um apocalusis, which is a coming, which is a showing up. A parousia, a coming. That those that's the Greek word. The Greek word for revealed when it comes to talking about the revealing of the Antichrist is apocalypto. And apocalypto, the prefix uh, if you would look at it phonetically in its transliteration, APO, K U, uh, uh, um, apocalypto, uh, uh, A P K U L U P T O, something like that. Well, the prefix APO reverses the action of the noun, of the, of the verb, uh, 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 calupto. And what it does is, is it means to take off the cover. So the, because something is covered up, it's the removal of the covers, to, to uncover, to unveil something. And so that's really what uh, uh, the whole idea of the revealing of the Antichrist is. It's not when he shows up. It has nothing to do with that. It has when he's uncovered as the man of sin. And then we get the identifying marks of what you're going to see when he's uncovered. The identifying characteristics and traits and actions that he would do. He will walk into the temple, call himself God, sit on the throne of God, showing himself that he is God. He doesn't do that when he, when at, at, at that beginning. When he confirms the covenant of many with many for one week for seven years uh so but but anyway we we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later we'll, we'll we'll get into that later but back to what we were talking about paul was, had to address this this is the first century church ladies and gentlemen they were already talking about the day of the lord they were they were they were already they were already talking about it so jesus talks about it paul talked about it john talked about it and that means Christians were talking about it. They were living under Antichrist, small a, then. Christians were being thrown to the lions for entertainment. People ate popcorn and drank beer. Watching Christians get set on fire and torn, torn to pieces by wild beasts. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you would be amazed at some of the heroic tales and historic accounts.
of the martyrdom of Christians. Uh, the, the account of the martyrdom of Polycarp. Uh, Felicity and uh, Perpetua and Felicity. Uh, these were North African martyrs, females. Okay? North African. You know, a lot of people don't understand Christi Christianity did not become a European phenomenon until centuries later. North Africa was really the, the hub of a lot of Christianity. It's where some of our first great theological minds such as Tertullian uh, the person who first used the word Trinity was a North African scholar you know and we can get into that later on too that Africa has a stake the 66 books of, of the Bible that we have now were done in Carthage Carthage is in Tunisia Tunisia is nestled between Libya and I believe Algeria in North Africa. So the Bible that you have right now with them 66 books, that is a product of the of, of the synods and the councils the councils of Carthage where, where many of the great doctrines about the essence of God, the homeostasis uh, excuse me, I'm using another term. I, you know, I'm in I'm in social service. That's a homeostasis is balance, but the uh, hypostatic union, rather, is what I meant. What I meant to say, the hypostatic union and all these things. With all these things, were debated. Uh, the whether Christ was the same essence of God or it's a different essence. Essence. Uh, homeo uh, homo eusion. I just messed that Greek term up, but but the, those of you who know of the of the history of it, homo eusion and homo usion, uh, those were terms that dealt with the essence was Christ of the same essence or different essence. There were many, 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 many council meetings and all of that that took place but the first ones were done in Africa ladies and gentlemen the first churches were African churches the church of Egypt glory to God the Ethiopian church is a very very ancient church that predates by, 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 by many many years long before Constantine came along in the 4th century and made Christianity the state religion of Rome it had been Christians were fleeing into Egypt just like Jesus had to do when he was a little boy he had to flee into Egypt so there were a lot of things happening in those first few centuries ladies and gentlemen where Christianity began to take shape and a foothold and there were many many topics that came up and eschatology was one of them so God in his great wisdom I don't even know is, wisdom is 
a human word that we would use. Wisdom is anthropomorphic. That's what a mere man would say. We could use that to describe God. Uh, being a mere man, I'm using a word like God is wise. Give me a break. God is beyond any human concept. He is far beyond us. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 46. This is what he says. Remember the former things of old. For I am God. There is none else. I am God. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. The reason why I believe that passage is so significant to what we're going to be doing teaching today is God's fingerprint is to prophesy about events far in advance. Not no two, three days, not no two weeks, hundreds of years. And it is his way to declare the end from the beginning. And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what he did when he gave us the book of Revelation. Do we have any idea of what that book is it is the mind of God whom no one else in all creation could come close to having the type of power necessary to go into the future and write the future down the future that is not even close to happening write it down in a book and we read it the future like it's history who else can do that no one else can do that and this is why God says there's nobody like me he said, can't nobody do that. Your soothsayers can't do that. Your magicians and your sorcerers and your false prophets and your diviners, they can't do that. He said, there's nobody like me. And so God using his divine prerogative, ladies and gentlemen, wrote down specific details about the future that have yet to be fulfilled that the Christians of the first century it was burning their ears up back then as it is today making them ears tingle
ladies and gentlemen, we serve a God that is awesome. We use the word awesome to describe a lot of things. Oh, that that shot the guy made was awesome. And that's an awesome song. And that's an awesome player. And that's an awesome dancer. When you say awesome, you are... T- awesome is a word we should almost reserve for God. Because we have we have washed that word down to something where, where anything is awesome now. Glory to God. What's awesome, ladies and gentlemen, is a God that can give you specifics about the future 2,000 years in advance we have a treasure in our hand with the book of Revelation and so this is what my program is all about it's a revelation revolution and the reason why I call it revelation revolution ladies and gentlemen It's because dispensationalists have been the ones that have set the interpretive parameters. They have set the rules of how you read the book and how you understand the book. And you've got so many people today who don't even bother Revelation. People scared to go into it. People scared to read it. And those who, uh, who, who aren't scared to read it don't read it because they've already been told, Oh, that don't have nothing to do with us. Yeah. Doesn't apply. God using his divine prerogative is for let them tell it. He used it for nothing. Because the church ain't going to be here. That's not the church. That's not saints. No, no, no. That's some other folks. We don't have to worry about that. But yet, God saw fit to put it in the Bible for us to have it. People are going to have to give account to why the book that God put in the Bible that is so, so important, particularly to that last generation. Now, other generations, let's say like the Reformers and Calvin's Day and Martin Luther's Day, all of them. When they took up topics like who the whore of Babylon was and all of that, you know, they, they, they say that, man, that's the Pope. That's the papal church. Many saw the restrainer as some form of human government, the Jewish state. They said it. The Roman Empire. They said it. But ladies and gentlemen, it's really not important what Martin Luther thought. Not important what John Calvin thought. Or any of these other quote-unquote reformers. Not important what they thought. They're not the generation that's going to have to deal with all this stuff. You see, as we get closer, ladies and gentlemen... More and more people are going to come to understanding. That's how God is going to do it. God is not about to leave himself without witnesses. Come on now. Not going to happen. Remember when Elijah said, Lord, just go ahead and kill me because I alone is left. God says, it's almost like God said, man, shut up talking. You don't know what you're talking about. I got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You think you're the only one out there. You think, you think I just left you? As fickle as you are, one minute you calling fire down from heaven, next you talking about God kill me, you you ready to die? That's how we are as human beings. 
We are just as fickle as we can be. Glory to God. Even a great prophet like John the Baptist, fiery as he was, the next minute he was saying after he got locked up, he said, he sent the word to Jesus, are you the one or shall we look for another one? This is why the Bible says, cursed is the man that trusted in man. Jesus would not commit, commit himself to man because he knew what was in man. And so, we have to be so reminded when we approach Revelation. Not be scared of it. Look at it. And make sure we are getting the message that God intended for us to get from it. If you recall, another scripture that we dealt with was when Jesus said, no man call no man speaking by the Holy Spirit can call Jesus Christ accursed okay and that no man can say Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Ghost we brought out why it was this statement is really really important because according to pre-trib scholars since the Holy Spirit is the restrainer of 2nd Thessalonians that has to be removed they have concluded that the people identified as saints in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 7 Revelation chapter 20 these cannot be members of the church, the body of Christ. Why? Why do they say that? There's a reason for that now. The reason is because they say, since the Holy Spirit is gone, the transforming, redeeming, ministries of the Holy Ghost that were specific to the church such as baptism in the Holy Spirit filling with the Holy Spirit being sealed by the Holy Spirit being baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit all of these ministries and workings of the Holy Spirit are intrinsic to the age of the church and because they are part of the age of the church when the Holy Spirit is taken those ministries will cease on earth and therefore those who come quote unquote come to Christ during the time that the Antichrist is here these are not members of the church they're not members of the church because the in order to be part of the church you have to have a working Holy Spirit baptizing people into the body of Christ in other words the body of Christ is gone 
Now, why these people were left behind is speculation. Speculation would probably obviously say they were living loose lifestyles or whatever. They just didn't believe hard enough or whatever. Whatever the reason they didn't make the cut, they didn't make it. So they're going to be the Tim LaHaye left behind Christians, kind of like the second, second class citizen group of saints. Now, the difficulty for pre-trib here is, is this. The Bible calls them saints. You can't get around that. The Bible says they remain faithful to Jesus Christ. The Bible says they died for the testimony which they had and for the word of God. These were people who in the face of death remain faithful to Jesus. And so this is why it's important to understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse number 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Holy Spirit called of Jesus of curse. And that no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something ladies and gentlemen. This is what your Bible said. It's not possible to even do that without the spirit when you are facing particularly persecution and this is why the Bible says and, and, and it was and it was given to him to make war with the saints but and then this is revelation 13 7 what you have to understand ladies and gentlemen and in one of the versions I believe in the Holman uh, 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 Bible it talks about and it he was permitted to make war with the saints. Now, that puts a different angle on this. In other words, he couldn't make war with the saints unless God permitted. So this is God who allows these saints to be killed by the Antichrist. That means these are precious saints that God allows to be offered up. This is, this is not some whim of Satan. God permits this. But God permitted the martyrdom of many Christians, including his son. So therefore, Jesus in Matthew 16 says, If any man come after me, let him take up his own cross. You have to take your own cross and die daily. Glory to God. Take up your cross and follow me. This is a suffering way. Narrow is the way to lead to salvation. Broad is the way to destruction. That broad way on the way to destruction, I don't I don't think we have to lock ourselves into that's the way, that's how the world is going. I don't believe that's necessarily the world. I believe that's people who think they are Christians who have taken away, who have been deceived 
to take the easy route. To take the name it, claim it, God make you rich route. That way that leads to destruction, that's a broad way, that's an easy way. The one that leads to salvation that few find is the hard way. But it's the true way. It's the way that a person would not choose to go because it's off the road. <laughs> it's off the road, ladies and gentlemen. And so, when we look at the so-called tribulation saints, I just want to get into a little bit. There's a few reasons why the pre-trib says the church is not in Revelation. One of the reasons is the word church is not found in the book of Revelation glory to God after chapter 3 it's not found again until you get to I think the last time you see it is Revelation uh, 3.14 okay and then let's put the plural on it Uh, yes. Then the last time you see the word churches, plural, is Revelation 22, 16. And this is what it says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the morning star. Now this is interesting. He begins the book of Revelation with a message to the churches and he and the book end is a message to the churches. To me that tells me that all the information in between is for the church. Now, let's look at the word church. And we're going to get into some interesting aspects. We're going to look at, you know, why they would why some are so insistent and use this as a an argument which actually I don't really think is a good argument but they but they tried so we want to just get into this and I want to I've
somehow I got off of my material and I exited out for some reason but we're going to pull it back up because we're going to do some some comparisons but that's one of the things that they say where the word church is not found in Revelation after a certain point and because of that the um and the word church is not found. Now that's not the only reason, but we're we're gonna we're gonna get into some of the other ones of what they say. But I think it's important that we that we that we uh that we bring this up because it's one of those things that when you really look into it is really not a solid argument at all. And so we're going to get into that just as soon as I, I pull, pull it back up <laughs> I had it here and then I uh, I did something with it but it is important that you understand the the issues and here, here, here we have it here okay now first of all When we get to the term church, ecclesia, and how it is used in the New Testament, particularly beyond the Gospels, particularly how Paul and the other New Testament writers use the word. Okay. First of all, we have to understand that the word church in a universal sense, such as teaching the, the teachings of Paul, the universal church, were revelations that were given to him. It's very important you understand this. Because when we get to Revelation, we, 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 we got it. we're switching gears. Okay? Paul is the one who uses the word church in a very unique way. From his own testimony, let's look at Romans chapter 16. In Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, this is how the word of the Lord reads. I'm reading from the King James. It says, Now unto him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Notice how Paul claims it as his gospel. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Romans 16 25, as a matter of fact, let's pull that up in the in the NIV and see how the how it reads in NIV. Now unto him who is able to establish you according with my gospel. He 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 emphasizes the possessive of it. Let's look at the ESV. 
Now unto him who was able to strengthen you according to my gospel. There it is again. New King James Version. Now unto him who was able to establish you according to my gospel. There it is again. NASB. Now unto him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. There it is again. Uh, Holman uh, Christian St Standard Bible. Uh, now unto him who has the power to strengthen you according to my gospel. In other words, Paul is saying this is my gospel. In other words, this is the gospel that I preach. That was given to me only. Okay. Listen to this. Verse number 25. We're going to read it again and go back to the NIV. Now unto him who is able to establish you according in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles may come into the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So now here we have in Paul claiming, listen, all the stuff that he taught, the things that he teaches in Romans and the things that he teaches in Galatians and Thessalonians and Colossians and Ephesians and uh, Philippians and all of the other epistles that he has written. Paul claims this. He claims exclusivity. To this, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, let's go back to our uh, our uh, 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 our lesson. Paul claims exclusivity here. Now, look at what he says in Galatians chapter one. Verses 11 through 13. He says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, neither, for neither, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, when Paul talks about being in Christ and baptized into Christ and risen with Christ and seated with Christ, all of these stuff in Christ, these are things that are particular to Pauline theology. You don't hear anybody else talking like that. And the reason why you don't hear anybody else talking like that or, or find that type of, of those type of emphasis on the church and the, and the functionings of the Holy Spirit during the church age is because the Apostle Paul was given this exclusively by Jesus Christ and he was not taught it by Peter. Peter couldn't have taught him this. Peter didn't know himself. John couldn't have taught him this. James couldn't have taught him this. These things were given to him by revelation. And this is why Paul calls it my gospel and the gospel that was preached of me. Why did he say that? Because he was given this stuff. He was given these doctrines, these great truths by the Lord himself. Okay.
So, when you come to books like John, and you get to John Hennian writing, you will not find John using the word church the way Paul does. It is a categorical error to look for Pauline theology, theology and John Hennian writings. It's a mistake to do that. You know, John didn't go to Dallas Theological Seminary and learn Pauline theology. Okay? So this is the reason why you do not have the word church used by John the way Paul does. Now this is important. The way John uses the word church is the way people use it to, to talk about a congregation. John uses the word church in a local sense. The church that is at Philadelphia. The church that is at Smyrna. The church that is at Sardis. The church that is at Thyatira. The church that is at Philadelphia. The church that is at Ephesus. The church that is at Laodicea. He uses the word church to talk about those congregations. And the other way he uses church is in its plural form. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. There's only one body of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. It's only the, the church. So when you see churches plural, obviously, that's talking about local congregations. So because John does not use the word church the way Paul does, number one, you should not expect to see it in John Henney in writing when he's talking about the saints. Point number two, when Paul is talking about the body of Christ, he doesn't always use the word church. Sometime, or almost just as many times, I think he uses the word church a few weeks ago. I did a, 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 a cursory count of it. But he uses saints just as, almost just as much as he does the word church. Church isn't the only way he describes Christians, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes he just calls them the saints. And throughout the New Testament, saint means believers. So, the pre-trib argument is, well, you don't find the word church. Now, they don't base the whole doctrine on this. I'm not, I'm not throwing that on them. But, ladies and gentlemen, if you go by that argument... You would be astonished to know that the word church 
is not found in 2 Timothy. The word church is not found in Titus. The word church is not found in 2 Peter. The word church is not found in 1 John. Or in 1 John, right? Think of that. Now, you never hear anybody in preach rib saying, well, 1 John isn't written to the church or, or, or even them even bringing that argument up. The word church is only found, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm using, I'm going with the King James Version on this when I say this. Uh, when we do this search for the word church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the verses where where it's found in the epistles outside of Pauline epistles and excluding the book of Hebrews because it is used in a universal sense and, and uh, in the book of Hebrews twice okay but check this out the word church is used one time in the book of James. Listen to what it says. If there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's not universal. That's the local use of the word church. James didn't use it that way. Now, then in 1 Peter, the word church is used but it says the church that is at Babylon now the interesting thing is church that is is in italics meaning this is this is not in the Greek manuscripts so therefore if you if you if you look at it that way even if you look at first Peter chapter 5 13 in the uh, NIV this is what it says. She who was at Babylon. They don't use the word church at all there. In the NASV. She who was at Babylon. So because the word church is italicized in 2 Peter. I mean 1 Peter 5.13. That means technically the word church isn't used in 1 Peter either. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the only other two, other than the book of Hebrews, times the word church is even used outside of Pauline epistles. Which goes back to the point that the way Paul used it was an exclusive use of the word. And you cannot look for that usage in other people's writings because they weren't given the revelation so you're not going to find it so the argument that you don't see the church see the and and they and, and, and pre-trib is is slick here because they know that when john uses the word church he uses it in a local sense they know that but then they don't say the, the word church 
isn't found in Revelation. They say it a little different. It's, a, it's, it's nuanced, but you have to pick it up. They always say the church is not found again in Revelation. The church is not mentioned. Well, when you say the church, the definite article the, you're really speaking in terms of the body of Christ. What they also fail to tell you is Paul used another word when he was talking about believers. He didn't always use church. He also used hagios, which is saints. This is the word that's used by John. John uses the word saints, not church. Another point that should be brought out is this. The churches that were in Asia Minor, which is basically the region of Turkey today, that were on that route, starting with Ephesus, ending up at Laodicea, the city's about 40 miles apart. These were specific churches, locations that were there they were people that were named like Antipas and doctrines that were taught at these churches. Jesus is 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 addressing specific churches. And in a localized concentrated area he was talking about the church. The churches in Asia Minor. Well, there were other churches that weren't in Asia Minor. But he focused on those seven churches. Why? We don't know. It's not, it's not that there were just seven churches in John's day. There were other churches. There were churches at Colossae. There were churches at, you know, Thessalonica, Galatia. But he didn't, he didn't write to those. Okay. However, when you fast forward into the future, into our age, where the church is a worldwide phenomenon, where God is communicating to and about people who are going to be persecuted and going through things of a nature that are going to be unparalleled, God does not, in Revelation, use the generalized terms. But what he does is he uses the other word, or John uses the other word that John would have used as other people have used all throughout the Bible. He used the word saints. So this whole argument that the church can't be found and that's evidence that is gone is just simple, simple poppycock. You cannot approach these writings, these sacred writings, that simplistically. Paul did not write Revelation. John did. John never used the word church the way Paul did. No other New Testament writer did. Not just John.
And if we were to go by the word church not being found, then we would have to say again, 2 Timothy, Titus, 2 Peter, 1 John, and 2 John. The word church is not used at all. And if you really want to be honest about it, not only is 2 Peter should be in that list, 1 Peter should also be in that list because they're talking about the King James says the church that is at Babylon. Those words are in italics that was added by the translators that's not in the manuscript. So really, 1 Peter should also be in that list. So are we going to look at those books and say, oh, the word church is not found and don't apply to the church? We see we wouldn't do that. Nobody would be that silly. No one would be that simplistic. We would just simply say that's not a rational conclusion to reach. Now, let's get into some comparisons. I find that this would be very interesting to you as we go through uh, this teaching. When we go to Revelation chapter 20, Verses 4 through 6. Well, let's read these. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that have part in the first resurrection on such the second death have no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years okay now let's look at this ladies and gentlemen let's look at the characteristics of this group of saints now In Revelation 20, the term first resurrection is used. You know, and, and Jesus talked about two resurrections in uh, St. John chapter 6. He said there will be a resurrection of life and a resurrection of condemnation. Okay? And, and that discourse, Jesus did not talk about a separation of a thousand years between the first and the second resurrection. Okay? However, we know we learned that in Revelation. All right, now. The first resurrection has all the righteous dead in it. The church, everybody, is in that, it is in that resurrection. The righteous, that's, that's their resurrection. Okay? The people who are characteristically a part of that resurrection are these. 
Let's read it again. I saw thrones and they that sat upon them. Judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. So let's stop right there. These were people who were killed for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. I want you to listen to this terminology. It's very important. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years now. In the first resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, are all the righteous dead. But Revelation doesn't focus on anybody else but these people. And there's a reason for that. This is the last group of church saints. And they have come through a special period in human history. You know, it's kind of like the Oscars. I'm not comparing this with the Oscars, but let me just kind of use that as an analogy. There are many Oscars given out that night. But they always save the last best picture, best actor, all the best, the top. Those are the coveted ones. Those come last. It doesn't make anybody else's Oscar less. It's not that they didn't celebrate the other ones. But a lot of time the focus is on that last one. That last group. Let me give you another analogy. It's like a relay race. You have five people. Five or six people that are on a relay team. The starter man starts. He runs his leg of the race. He passes the baton. He's out of the race. He goes and sits down somewhere. Next man gets it. Next man gets it. Next man gets it. But who gets all of the glory? It's the anchor man. It's the ones who cross the finish line. It's not that the other runners in the race were less significant. It's just that when it comes to the finish line, that's the anchor man's and he is the one who gets to break the tape and because he gets to break the tape the focus is on him this is what we see in Revelation ladies and gentlemen the first resurrection will have many saints in it, but Revelation 20 only focuses in on those who finish.
finished the who brought the church past the finish line through the tyranny of the Antichrist who beheaded them and thought he could defeat Christ, thought he could overcome them, thought that he could defeat them, thought that he could beat them, but they were faithful unto the death. And so therefore God permitted them to be sacrificed. And because they were willing to lay their lives down, because they were willing to die for the word of God and the witness of Jesus Christ during the most turbulent time in human history, the book of Revelation is giving them a specific spotlight here. It's not that everybody else isn't there. The first resurrection has, has many saints in it. But Revelation isn't focusing in on them because this is the anchorman generation. And so this is why John told them in the beginning, you heard that Antichrist is coming. Yes, he is. Sure he is. There's many antichrists now. He said, but you heard they're coming. He's coming. Yes. And when he comes, he's going to make war with the saints. But as the Bible says, it was given unto him. It was permitted unto him. In other words, he could, Satan couldn't have bust a grape against them saints unless God pulled his hand back and said, yeah, you can get some of them. And so this is why, now, now, I, I know that's heavy for some of y'all. I know that's heavy for some of y'all. So let me, let, me, let, me, let me just take a brief excursus here and go back to uh, Revelation chapter uh, number two and let's find the book the church of Smyrna let me let me let's let's read this and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write these things say of the first and last which was dead and is alive I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty but thou art rich and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews but are not but are the synagogue of Satan fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and yea and ye shall have tribulation ten days but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus didn't tell them people at the church of Smyrna, oh, I'm going to keep you out of jail. I'm going to send my, my angel down to get all y'all. You ain't going to have to go through no tribulation. You're not going to go. No, he says Satan is going to lock some of y'all up and some of you are going to die. He said, and I'm not getting you out. He said, be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. You got to trust me on this. Some of you are going to die. Yes. That's what he told the church. Now, you don't hear preach trip teaching that. They don't get on that one. Oh, yeah. Some of y'all going through tribulation. He said right here, you're you going to have tribulation 10 days. We don't know what that means. You're going to be in it for a season. It's going to cost some of y'all your lives. 
Let me tell you, if it was a thousand and a crisis, you, you, all he could do is take your life. Jesus said, don't fear him that have the power to take the, uh, your, your physical life. He said, you better be fearing the one who got the power to take your body and your soul and throw it off in hell. That's who you better be concerned about. And so I just find it very interesting how God is setting this. He says, some of y'all are going to prison. Some of that's going to happen to you. Listen to what, look at what God did with Job. People say, yeah, but he, 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 he wouldn't, he wouldn't let the devil kill Job. Yeah, but he let Job kill, he let the devil kill that man's kids. Now just think of that. What parent want to bury a child? Think of that. No, he didn't kill Job, but he didn't put, he allowed Satan to kill his children. Think of that. You know how many parents would switch places if they could and die in a child's place if they could? So don't give me that God keeps people from death. Some of these, some of this stuff, God makes this decision. He's the God of the living, not the dead. You just go to another side. That's all the God you still in existence. It's we feeble human beings who fear death. And that's how Satan keeps control of us through the fear of death. That's what the, that's what the Bible talks about in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Who through, who through the fear of death kept people in bondage. Man, once you get to the place to where you're not afraid of dying, can't nobody do nothing with you. That's why Martin Luther King gave such a powerful speech. He said, like any man, longevity has its place. He said, I want to live like any man. He said, but I'm, afraid, I'm not afraid anymore. I've been to the mountaintop. I done already seen it. Once you get to that place, ladies and gentlemen, Satan can't do nothing with you and he knows it. As long as he can keep you materialistic and keep you tethered to this world, then he'll make you afraid of death. You know, that's all, it's all connected. The more you are connected to this world, the more you fear death. The more you are connected to Christ, the more you are saying, Lord, thy will be done. You can take me tomorrow. A lot of Christians don't think like that. We don't think like that today. This is what Jesus told these people. He said, look, y'all, some of y'all are going to get locked up. And everybody is not going to get a, uh, an angel sent down to spring them out of jail like Peter. Some of you are going to die right there. You're going to suffer right there. But be thy faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Look what else, look what else he says. Revelation 12. And I heard of verses number 10. Verse number 9. And the dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Let me footnote here. Satan has the whole world deceived. At some level, we're all deceived. That's right. Even with the Holy Spirit. 
we we done bought into his lies at some point through government or whatever it is through the, this world system the whole world is deceived he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brother is cast down which accused them before our God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death ladies and gentlemen these are the committed people of God during the time when Satan is cast down to the earth glory to God during that period during Daniel 70 week it is going to be something on this planet okay but they will still be people and God is making a point no matter how bad it get I have people here that will not bow the knee to Baal who will remain faithful unto death who will remain faithful who love not their lives unto the death Jesus said you are not worthy he that does not pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me see we, we are so used to this materialistic God give me this celestial transactional God if I did do this for you and give you five dollars in offer you'll give me back 20 right see we, we listen we have listened so much to this garbage it's absolute garbage that people are not prepared at all for the things that are coming on this world the type of Christian that John knew in the first century and the type of Christians you have today like in places like America not talking about some of these other countries in the world where Christians are giving their lives now all you gotta do is get, get the magazine and subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs you want to hear about people being persecuted in poor countries but still loving God get that magazine see we don't hear that over here because we we do, we do get caught up on what's on TV. We living good over here. We turn on, we when we turn on our light switches, electricity come on, we turn our faucets on, water come on, when we flush our toilets, they flush. We have nursing homes, we got social security, we got buses, we got this, we got food stores. You know that there are countries where they don't have grocery stores with frozen food and, and meat. <laughs> but see, ladies and gentlemen, we live so good. And I don't know if it's so good, though. Materialistically, for the things of the body, we got that stuff. But we are so messed up in our theology. We just don't believe we're supposed to go through nothing. And so, this is why when you get to Revelation 20, even though the first resurrection has an expansive group of saints, it only focuses in on the ones who didn't get the, who got the victory over the mark of the beast. But let me just show you something else. When we go to Revelation 15, here's what I want to show you now. Revel see you can't necessarily equate 
sequential in revelation with chronological. You can't necessarily equate sequential in revelation with chronological. What I mean by that is, yes, chapter 15 comes after chapter 14. But that doesn't mean the things in chapter 15 come after the things that are in 14, chronologically. Sometimes things are connected, and it hops chapters. Some things are things that are parenthetical in Revelation. For example, usually you hear about the Antichrist. When you start talking about the Antichrist, in Revelation, you go to the Revelation 13, 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Well, that's really not his first mention. Now, I'm not talking about the red dragon in uh, 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 Revelation chapter 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. 11 and 12, brother. I'm speaking of the beast. The first mention of the beast is not in Revelation chapter 13. The first mention of it is in Revelation chapter 11. Glory to God with the two witnesses. Glory to God. And the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war with them. He's mentioned there. Revelation uh, uh, Revelation 11 sequentially comes before Revelation 13 but it's not necessarily chronological remember John is writing things in a certain sequence but that don't necessarily mean they're chronological there's different vignettes, there's different views of, of the same thing and different things that he's seeing. The wrath of God is mentioned at the, sixth, at the opening of the sixth seal. The wrath of God is mentioned in Revelation 11. The wrath of God is mentioned in Revelation 16. It's not three different wraths. Sequential is not necessarily chronological. Okay? So when we go to Revelation 15, I want to show you something. Verse number 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them was filled up the wrath of God. Okay, now, I, I want you to get this. Now, these seven angels go and pour their bowls out in Revelation 16. Let's, let's matter of fact, let's flip over there real quick. Revelation 16, 1. Then it says, And I heard a loud voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vows of wrath upon the earth. The first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. Okay, now. Alright, so. That tells you something. God saves his wrath. 
till after the Antichrist is in place. Daniel 9.27 says, And that determined shall be poured out on the desolator. How is God's wrath going to start before Antichrist even gets him set up? He is not the Antichrist at the beginning of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because he only gets 42 months as the beast. Had the Bible said he had the Bible said he had 84 months, end of conversation. But it's 42. That's when he starts his reign as the beast. God's wrath will be in response to what the Antichrist does when it comes to the abomination of desolation. But he, God doesn't get him right away. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? Even after the Antichrist walks into the temple, calls himself God and all that stuff. It's still going to take time for him to set the mark of the beast up. It's still going to make time for everybody to get that mark, get it set up, and all that stuff. Yeah, in, in all the banking and all that stuff would be in place, but it's still going to take time to do that. They're not going to do all that in one day. The man has three and one half years to reign. Just think about this. Three and a half years is almost is almost four years. Four years, we know, that's what an American president gets. Right? Now, I'm not saying that American president is the Antichrist. I, I, look, I'm not doing that. I'm just simply trying to give you a perspective of how much time three and a half years is. That's about the length of an American presidency. Just think of how much can get done in four years. There's a lot of stuff can be done. A lot of, a whole bunch of stuff. That's a long time now, especially when stuff is going on. So the interesting thing is, the reason why I came to Revelation 16, I wanted you to show you that that's when the angels are set forth to pour their wrath out on the earth. But when we go back to Revelation 15, we see them in heaven. They haven't left yet. And I saw Revelation 15, 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them was filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over his number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servants of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, O thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy great and marvelous name? For thou thou for thou art only for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The people who gotten victory over the beast are already seen in heaven before the angels with the bowls of the wrath of God are even dispatched. You can't miss that point. There 
in heaven. And so a lot of people like to say, oh, well, well you know, the, re uh, uh, the first resurrection don't happen and, and, uh, and the revelation, the, the tribulation saints, they, they come up later because they don't come up until Revelation 20. No, sequential is not necessary chronological. These people are in heaven already before Armageddon starts. Before the wrath of God is already poured out. These, they're already in heaven. Revelation 20 is merely an extension of what began in Revelation 15. In that sequence that you see where they're rewarded, this is part of the reward ceremony. This is part of all that. First they sing a song, they come out, then they get they they, then they get you know they go before their judgment. However, however he sets it up. But they but they gotta come up to heaven first. They're in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Before the wrath of God is poured out. That's why Paul said we're not appointed to wrath. And even when you get to Revelation 14, we're not going to go back to Revelation 14 yet. But, but Revelation 14, 15, 16, those all go together. Okay? So the argument that what, what happens in Revelation 20 doesn't happen until after the 70th week, ladies and gentlemen, it's sequentially, it's a Revelation 20, but not necessarily chronologically. That is, this, this Revelation 15 and Revelation 20 may be the same, may, the Revelation 20 may actually be a continuation of what has begun in Revelation 15. The ceremony has already started up here. They're already up. So it's not like they waited to Revelation 20 to get there. They're already up before the angels go to pour the bowls of wrath out on the world. You can't get away from that. It's right there in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not making that up. So that's interesting. It's very, very interesting. So now, when we go back to Revelation 20 and then we're going to close out. We're going to look at a few things. I want to read it again. I saw an angel. No, uh, no, not that part. Verse 4. And I saw the thrones and then that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the, that were, uh, souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Which had not worship the beast, neither the image, neither received their mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay? But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So first thing we have to understand is the tribulation saints are in the first resurrection. Alright? They're in the same first resurrection that the church is in. Now, I'm only using this, I'm only making the a, a distinction here because pre-trib makes the distinction. What I'm actually trying to show you is, is really these are, these are Christians. The church. The last generation of church saints. That's what I'm trying to show you. But we're going to make some comparisons. Okay? Notice what it says. Okay? Verse number six. 
blessed and holy is he that had part in first resurrection. So, anybody that's in the first resurrection, they're blessed, they're holy, okay? The second death doesn't have any part over them, and they're going to reign with Christ. Christ is highlighting this specific group because they're the last group. Not that they're not ex exclusive to the first resurrection. There's other people there, but it's not time for the, the but, but the spotlight's not on them because they because it's the period they just came through was a unique period, and this is why God put the end in from the beginning. So this would be the church. So the church would understand the legacy. The church would understand that even through the worst time in human history, the saints win in the end. That is the message of Revelation that no matter what we go through, God is faithful to his promises that if you die, Smyrna, in jail, be faithful unto death, I'm going to give you a crown of life. Deal with the pain. Deal with the torture. Deal with the behavior deal with it he said because my son dealt with it and all of the Christians of the first 300 years are dealing with it and Christians around the world right now are dealing with it the only people that's having issues with that is folks that's over here in the western hemisphere who've been taught that we're not gonna go through nothing and that's the problem and then when you start getting into what is that really based upon, you'll get knocked over to find out they don't have a lot of Bible to back up their stuff. They didn't say the Holy Spirit that left the earth, the Holy Spirit is gone. And that's why these pro-tribulation saints can't be part of the church because they don't have the Holy Ghost. Now, what are they basing that on? Oh, they're basing that on 2 Thessalonians. The he who restrains is being a Holy Ghost, even though they don't have any scripture to prove that. And all the scriptures they should have been using to help determine where the beast is, what is restraining the beast, the scriptures they should have used in Revelation concerning the beast, they don't use. They go to John, they go to Isaiah, they go to Genesis. And come up with scriptures that have nothing to do with eschatology to make a point and teach a concept that the Holy Spirit is being taken away when the Bible never said that. And the reason why the Holy Spirit being taken away is important because if you don't have the Holy Spirit on earth, the tribulation saints cannot be members of the church. They can't. They can only be members of the church if the Holy Spirit is still active with baptizing people into the body. So therefore, Walvoord and all of them have declared. And all the other priest rivers, that even though the Holy Spirit may not be completely gone, he's no longer functioning in his ministry through the church because he's already taken the church. The Bible don't, does not teach that in the slightest way. That's all theological conjecture, ladies and gentlemen. None of that is in the Bible. This is all because Darby and them came up with a system and said this is how it is and the powers that be grabbed it, put it into the reference Bible, start teaching in the seminaries, and this is what your pastors know in your churches. No questions asked. So let's look at some of these comparisons. Okay. All right. These saints, when I say these saints, I mean the so-called left behind. These saints were killed for the testimony of Jesus Christ and for the word of God. Now listen to this. Church saints. The apostle John was definitely a Christian. Okay. 
But John didn't call himself one. Nor did he say he was in Christ. He didn't say that. In Revelation 1 and 9, John stated that he was banished to the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the same reason why the saints of Revelation 20 were martyred. You remember what he said in verse 4 it says I saw thrones in them and set upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. It's the same thing John said I was put on the island of Patmos for. In other words John identifies or identifies his Christianity through his actions of being on the island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He didn't say I was on the way because I was persecuted because I was in Christ. I was a Christian and none of that. That's not how he identified it. So how Paul, John identifies with the body of believers and, 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 uh, and connects himself is the same through the witness of Jesus and the word of God is the same is the same designation that was given to the saints that are so-called tribulation saints. Now, wouldn't it be a mistake to say John wasn't a Christian because he didn't say he was a Christian? Because he didn't say I was in Christ or say I was in the church? See, we wouldn't say that to John. But John testified of himself. Testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Okay. The, these saints, meaning the so-called tribulation saints, are called witnesses of God. But church saints are called witnesses of God. The only way to become a true witness of Jesus Christ is by being a born again of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8. Ye shall be witnesses of me. Number three, these saints, these saints held fast to the word of God and are being rewarded. Church saints holds fast to the word of God. This is what it says in Philippians 13 through 16. Okay. It says, for it is God which worketh in you, both the will and to do of your good pleasure. His good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of God, that I might rejoice in the day of Christ. We holding fast to the word of God and being rewarded. That's what that verse is talking about. But that's the same thing that Church saints, the tribulation saints, so-called tribulation saints were. Tribulation saints, these saints will reign with Christ. The church is said that it's promised to reign with Christ. Second Timothy uh, two twelve, Revelation two twenty six and twenty seven, five uh, nine and ten. The fifth likeness. These saints were blessed and holy. The church saints are the Lord's blessed and also holy. Ephesians uh, 1 3, James uh, 1 12, 1 Peter 1 16, 2 9, Colossians 1 22. The sixth likeness. These saints are to be are in the first resurrection. Church saints are in the first resurrection. Okay? Number seven. These, these are called saints. Church the church, the members, the uh, the church members of the body of Christ are also called saints. Many scriptures 
First, uh, First Corinthians six eleven, Second Timothy two twenty one, Hebrews two eleven, ten uh, a ten through fourteen. The eighth likeness. These saints are called the priests of God. Church saints are called the royal priesthood. First Peter two nine. These saints were faithful unto death. Church saints. The church is commanded to be faithful unto death. That's exactly what Jesus told the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. These saints had their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. Church saints. The church has their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. Okay. Number 11. These are delivered from the second death. Church saints are the promise to be delivered from the second death. Again, Revelation 2, uh, 10 and 11. These saints who got the victory over the mark of the beast and were not appointed to the wrath of God. Okay, the wrath of God, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation 15, 1 and 2. You see these saints clearly in heaven before the wrath of God starts, for he pours it out on the world. The church saints were promises not promise not to endure the wrath of God. Not the wrath that people say is the wrath. The wrath that God, the Bible determines that's the wrath. Okay? Third, the 13. These saints are said to be Gentiles. Church saints. These saints are said to be Gentiles. Revelation 7, uh, 9. These are from every tongue, nation, and king. Every tongue. Church saint. The church is the Gentile church. Right? These saints. These saints are washed in the blood of the Lamb. The church saints are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 14. He said, who are these? He said, they said, these are they that wash themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Came out of great tribulation, washed himself in the blood of the Lamb. Church saints are washing the blood of the Lamb. These saints have have a resurrection, have resurrection and rewards several morning at the seventh or the last trump, while wrath is being poured out on the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. Now this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation eleven eighteen says that it's the time of the dead at the seventh trumpet. The time of the dead that they should receive reward, reward, the saints and the prophets and them that fill their names, small and great, but that he's just, but but the wrath of God is being poured out on earth. The church saints were raised at the last trumpet. The, the last trumpet, seven trumpet, last trumpet. Oh, and then we'll wait till we get into how Preach Rib says these are two different trumpets based on how long the trumpet blast is. It, ladies and gentlemen, their arguments are so flimsy. I, I, I mean, you you would be surprised. We'll, 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 we'll cover it. We'll cover it. Church saints are raised at the last trumpet. These saints are raised at the last trumpet. It's interesting. Glory to God. Under the seventh trumpet, all the things that happened from Revelation 11 on into 15 all fall under the seventh trumpet. All that stuff falls under it. So this is why one of the things that you see during the seventh trumpet, when it blows. You know, when the seventh trumpet blows, it said the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and all of that. You know, it's a big, it's a big thing. The seventh trumpet, that blast lasts a long time. 
That's what pre-trib said. Well, that's why it's a different trumpet because of and 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 First uh, Corinthians fifteen. It said it'd be in the twinkling of an eye. The 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 First Corinthians fifteen says nothing about the duration of the blast of the trumpet. Second Corinthians fifteen is talking about how quickly people will be changed. It has nothing to do with how long is the trumpet blast. See, that's why I was saying it's a stupid. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that. Is a elementary foolish argument, and you have big time people, John MacArthur, and them saying, "Oh yeah, the difference is this is this is a the Revelation trumpet. That's a long trumpet, and you know that's a, that's a one of that's one of them whole notes, you know. And, and, and but the but the uh, the trumpet sound, First uh, uh, Corinthians fifteen, that's one of them quick quick, and they gone. So see, that's a different. It's a different last trumpet. Wait a minute. Will you find the other trumpets? There's only one group of trumpets that I know of that are eschatological. Find them other trumpets. If there's another group of sequels of trumpets, would you find them in the scriptures, please? Don't just say it. Find them. Show them to me. Where they at? Matthew and Matthew chapter thirty, or, 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 or Luke, or, or Luke chapter uh, uh, twenty nine, or, 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 or Psalms one hundred and fifty three. Or Revelation chapter 25. Where, where they at? Where, where are those other trumpets? The last trumpet is the last trumpet. But it just so happens our last trumpet in 1 Corinthians, there's a resurrection. And the last trumpet of Revelation chapter 8, of Revelation chapter 11, that trumpet also has a resurrection. Where the dead are being rewarded. How do you reward dead people unless you raise them? It's a ceremony. Just so happens that they both had the same thing. Just so happens. I, I know. But see, if you preach for him, oh, the church is gone already. Because the word church ain't mentioned no more and the Holy Spirit is gone. So that's why we're not reading the book of Revelation. That's why we're telling people not to read it because it don't apply to them. These people are going to give account to God. God was the one who put the end in the beginning. He's this is his this is our father's fingerprints, ladies and gentlemen. This is how God does stuff. He gives you the end from the beginning, so you have it. Jesus said, Behold, I tell you these things beforehand, so you'll know before they happen. That's the best thing God could do is to tell you what's gonna happen before he get there. He ain't gotta do nothing else but do that. All he gotta do is tell you what's happening. If you if you look, if you knew what's to pick tomorrow that, that's going to be you, 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 you would be a millionaire right now right? if we only knew what was going to happen tomorrow right but we don't okay alright let me let me keep going I got to go number the 16th thing these saints are part of the Lord's harvest as he sits on a cloud and is told to reap by the angel these saints are seen in heaven in Revelation 15 1 and 2 before the angels depart to pour out wrath on the earth. The church saints are also raptured and meet the Lord in the air in the clouds with the voice of an angel. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 14 are very similar, ladies and gentlemen. Very similar. Alright? We'll, and we'll, we'll get in more, in more depth study on that. 17. The saints that are comforted by the Holy Spirit himself guaranteeing that those who remain faithful to Jesus shall rest from their labors and their, their work will follow them. That's Revelation 14, 13. And are said to die in the Lord. 
how do you die in Christ without the Holy Spirit baptizing you into Christ? Isn't that interesting? Church saints are told to comfort one another with these words inspired by the Holy Spirit because those who sleep in Jesus God will bring with them. So the comforters were comforting both groups in the same way. So these are 17 identical things the church saints and the so-called tribulation saints. Same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, guess what? They're not different. They're the same. God did never put a difference in between them. Men did when they came up with pre-trib. Said the Holy Spirit was the restrainer. Said that the, uh, the saints of Revelation 13 and Revelation 7, them people don't have the Holy Ghost. They're not in the body of Christ. They're not baptized in the body of Christ. They're the left behinds. The Bible doesn't say that. That's what Tim LaHaye and them told you. That's what Hal Lindsey and the group told you. Listen, my time is up. I got to go. God bless you. Look, stay tuned. <clears throat> We're going to have more controversial programs. We're going to get into this thing. I haven't, listen, I haven't even cranked it up good yet. But thank God for you and your prayers. Tell your friends about these teachings in the name of Jesus. You have just joined the Revelation Revolution. We'll see you again next time in Jesus' name. know the times answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy a powerful new book by dennis james woods the world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace wildfires earthquakes hurricanes and floods devastate entire communities global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people social injustice unrest and lawlessness threaten our societies Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, 
the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, the Return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the Book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, Look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.